0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make Him known. If you are interested in getting connected, or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So uh, this morning what we're going to do, uh, you can open up your Bibles if you have it to Psalm 120, um, or, or if you have a, your, you Google it, Bible app, however you read the Bible, Psalm 120. And, and uh, we're going to start a new series kind of to that end. H- how do we take stock of where we've been these last 18 months, uh, where we're at right now, and, and where is God inviting us to go together? So we're calling this new series uh, Ascent. And, and, and we're going to be looking at these uh, Psalms of Ascent, some of them, we're going to look at six of them in particular. Uh, that go from Psalm 120 to Psalm 133. And and they're going to help us shed light on this whirlwind of, of a time we have lived in this last 18 months. What it's done to us. And, and where God is inviting us to go. So are you ready to go on this journey with me? So before we jump into reading it. Okay, one of you is excited. I feel so encouraged. Um, before we jump into the Psalms of Ascent. Um, I just want to explain what the Psalms of Ascent are because it's, uh, I'm talking to you about it. Like, oh, you all know this. So, do you guys see? In some of your Bibles, you're going to see a little heading above Psalm 120. What does it say? It says a Psalm of Ascent, right? Uh, if you have, if you ever read the Message Bible, uh, that's, which is a paraphrase, it's not like a translation, but it's a paraphrase to give you a better like idea of, of modern thought about what's happening in that. ...in these stories, the Message Bible will put at the top uh, a pilgrim song or something like that. And that's exactly what they are. The Psalms of Ascent uh, were the songs that the ancient Israelites would sing... ...on their journey to Jerusalem every year for festivals. There were three festivals every year that the uh, ancient Israelites would go to Jerusalem for. They'd leave their home and they'd go in Jerusalem. and pot- uh, Potentially for all of them, but scholars are sure that they would sing these for one of the, so- uh, one of the festivals in particular... And they would sing Psalm 120 through Psalm 133 on their journey to Jerusalem. So we're going to be like pilgrims here for the next six weeks, and and we're going to go on a journey. We're going to go on a journey that's going to help us make sense of where we've been these last 18 months, uh, where we are right now, and where Jesus wants to invite us on a journey together. So let's read Psalm 120 together. Verse 1, it says, I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him, and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from all deceitful people. O deceptive tongue, what will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with sharp arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffer in far-off Meshach. It pains me to live in distant Dar. I am tired of living among people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. Let's pray together before we continue. Jesus, I, I really believe you are taking us as a church family uh, here in West Milford in particular, on a journey uh, these next six weeks and, and preparing our hearts for, for what you want to do uh, through our church and through all sorts of churches around this area. In, in, in West Milford, in Ringwood, in, in Warwick, in, in Vernon, from all the places that we come from, God. We really feel like you are on the move and want to do something. And so uh, we just invite you into this time to help us really slow down And make sense of what has gone on in our souls during this last season. Take us on a journey with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to uh, ask you to imagine something with me for a minute. Just imagine for yourself uh, the happiest place on earth. What would you call the happiest place on earth? Go ahead. I want to hear. What do you think the happiest place on earth is? What's that? I heard beach, I heard Disneyland, your bed. Where else? I heard something else. No? There's only three happiest places on earth. I knew I was going to hear beach. I figured someone would say Disney. The woods, the woods. Mine would be St. Croix uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I love going there. It's like my, my happy place. I love it. Uh, But yeah, someone did say Disney, I heard. What do they call Disney? Don't they call it the happiest place on earth? Isn't, isn't that what they call it, right? They literally call it the happiest place on earth. I actually heard uh, a couple uh, moms recently, this is maybe a couple months ago, I overheard them talking about upcoming family vacations, upcoming trips and stuff like that. And, and they, were, they were saying, uh, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to do too much this summer. We're going to do a couple, uh, couple things, like go to the Adirondacks. N- nothing too crazy, just for like a few days, long weekend trips, kind of thing like that. But, they say, but, in, but in the fall and October, we're going to Disney. And the other mom re- responded with, oh, you're going to Disney. Oh, yeah, you, you know these conversations, right? You, you've had them. It, it feels like there, there's like this um, this sense of awe and reverence whenever someone talks about Disney, especially when you have young kids. They're, oh, the kids are going to love it at Disney. They've never been. You've never been to Disney before? Good. You guys know what I'm talking about? You, Flaherty's know what I'm talking about. I know Lisa Flaherty. You guys love Disney. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. But but there's like this sense of uh, there's almost a, a cultural expectation we have in America. Like, you will go to Disney. It is it is it is just a matter of time before you take your young children to Disney. I'm not a huge amusement park fan, just personally. So I, I don't really have a strong desire to go to Disney. But I have people tell me all the time, oh, you're going to take your kids to Disney. It's just a matter of time. Anyone ever have that happen to you? Am I the only one that gets pressured to go to Disney? No? You guys too? Yeah. Uh, but but you have this sense of, like, there, there's something in, in our culture in our culture, that, that in the DNA of who we are, that like Disney is like the pilgrimage journey that every family must make with their kids, right? And if you love it, you're gonna get a timeshare and you're gonna go back every year, right? Is that how this works? That's right, I see, I've learned. I've spent a lot of time with Tim and Lisa, so I know how, I know how their timeshare works. Um, but anyway, uh, it was, this is what happens when you go to Disney. But when you're not at Disney or you're not at whatever your happy place is, Things are not right with the world like they are when you're in your happy place. Isn't that true? When you're in your happy place, especially when you're in Disney, man, like, it's just so easy, especially when you're in the resort, when you're in one of those all-expense-paid resorts, everything's just easy, it's there. Maybe when you're in the woods, it's just like, all I need is being alone. Just leave me alone when you're in the woods, right? Uh, Wherever it is, you you have that sense uh, of when I'm in my happy place, everything is right with the world. But when I'm not in that place, oh my God i got to go punch my time card, i got to go to work, I've got these troubles in my marriage, I've got this trouble with my kids, this thing going on with my mom. It, it, it's just the constant uh, barrage of, I know I'm not in my happy place right now. I'm not in Disney. And everything around me is like, yep, we're not, we're not in the happy place right now, are we? You know it. Some of you are going to get up to go to work tomorrow morning. For some of you, love it. You're going to go, you love your job, you love what you do. And some of you are going to be like, oh, i got to do this again. Right, I, I, I have that. I've known that experience and, and know that feeling a lot. So just like we have this feeling about the happy place, or or the way uh, we think about Disney in our culture, this is actually very similar to how the ancient Israelites thought about going to Jerusalem. It carried that weight of oh, you're going to Jerusalem. You're you're going to where the temple is. You're going to where God's presence is, and and it didn't just mean. God's there, so that's good, I can check that off my list, right? Because we're not talking about, uh, the, the the ancient Israelites didn't think about God as like, he's going to help me like live a moral life. It was so much more than that. They, they knew that where God's presence was, was the place where heaven and earth met, and they overlapped, and and God could be with people, and people could be with God, and it's just the way things were always meant to be. This is what the Garden of Eden was all about. It was a place where God and his creation were together and there was harmony, and, and there was every, no, nothing was out of place. Every wrong would be righted in this place of God's presence. And, and for uh, the, the ancient Israelites, as we read through the Psalms of Ascent, you're going to see references to the house of God, which is the temple. You're going to see references to the temple. You'll see references to Zion, which is another name for uh, the hill and the place where God's presence is. All of these should remind you of this is the happiest place on earth. When I'm in God's presence, there is perfect harmony. There is, there is abundance. In fact, in the temple, they, they made it look like a lush garden. Both there would be lush garden uh, vegetation there, an abundance of water, but also the decorate, decorations on the wall, the carvings and bronze and things like that, would, would be of trees and fruit trees and, and abundance. And the, the whole uh, place was designed to remind you, when you are with God, you lack nothing. There is nothing that you don't have, and everything is right. When you're with God, every tear is dried, every sickness is healed, every wrong and injustice in the world is righted because God is so good. And people dwell together in unity. Now we can all sing Kumbaya and go home, right? But how many of you know we don't live at Disney? At least right now. We don't live in that happy place, do we? We're we're not in Jerusalem. And and, and you can probably in your own life or go through like maybe a a news feed of top news stories from the last 18 months. Take your pick, your own life. Maybe you journal or something like that. Your text threads from the last 18 months. uh, News stories that broke over the last 18 months. It doesn't take very long to see we don't live in the happiest place on earth. We, we don't live in the place of harmony and, and perfection and where God is righting every wrong. Man, people get away with some stuff that they shouldn't get away with. And, and you know what? My, my neighbor over there, uh, she posted that thing and I, I need to tell her she's wrong. And, and you know what? I, I feel very offended that you would think that about me. And, and did, we, did we get touchy a little bit in the last? I got touchy in the last 18 months. I, I'll be quite honest. I got a little judgmental. Sometimes maybe some of you got judgmental uh, about whether maybe someone was wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And, 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 oh, you're not not doing it the way I'm doing it. Things got really chaotic and messy, didn't they? Yeah? Just rattle off some of these to refresh our memory. Or maybe just help us, remind remind us how deep this really went. Just take COVID in the last 18 months. Besides some of that, a lot of people were incredibly lonely incredibly lonely. Single people, elderly people who couldn't wanted to go see them because, you know, they didn't want to potentially make them sick. Or there was death. There was disconnection. Exhaustion. There's many... Uh, Experts actually say that there's actually a, a sense of probably collective uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, that many of us are, are dealing with after, after COVID. If we didn't work in a, in a healthcare uh, healthcare environment uh, in, in the past, um, having to follow complicated health regulations the second you walk out of your, your door was, was a really uh, abrupt kind of uh, jarring experience. Uh, you know, my wife is a, a therapist, but let, let me tell you, the mental health industry did really well during COVID, especially doing teletherapy and online. Pe- people were in pain, people were, and I don't say that to be crass about it, doing what well, it, was, just, it there was, they could not keep up with the demand. That my, my wife works on uh, independently and, and she works on several uh, online platforms and, and, and the a couple of the bigger uh, companies that she uh, finds clients through we're, we're sweetening the pot almost weekly, sending emails. If you take five new clients this week, like above what you would normally on average take in, we'll give you this financial incentive. They couldn't provide enough services. People were so uh, affected by what had happened during COVID. This, uh, this heightened, I think, and revealed a lot of other things that were already going on in society. We could, we could talk about how uh, a lot of social injustices were, were already going on. And, and I think with everyone being stuck at home and stuck to TV or their news feed and they couldn't really go out that much, they, they saw uh, a lot of the injustice against the black and Asian community perhaps that they would not have paid attention to in the past. I, I had a conversation with someone that said, I thought this was all done back in the 60s with the civil rights movement. And they're seeing things, and it's it's been jarring for many people. What what do I do? How do I make sense of this? There's been a chaotic election season. I don't know if you were aware of that. We had an election last fall. You probably didn't remember. A lot of us got very easily offended. Some of us are still very easily offended from that election season. Some of us actually enjoyed the conflict too much. We really liked the conflict. We like arguing. We like winning the argument and the debate. And I haven't even mentioned, by the way, your home life. Some of you are working high-pressure jobs trying to homeschool kids. Teachers trying to do online education like that. People who work in health professions uh, seeing some of the worst of it. My my, uh, mother-in-law is a nurse at NYU, and I just remember last spring when when she would say, oh, there's, you know, freezer trucks, tons of them pulled up outside of NYU because the coroner can't get to the body count fast enough. Not something we experience on a normal basis where we live, is it? You got high-pressure jobs, you've been working and normally, and, and then the, the last year and a half has, has made it even more complicated. And so things have been starting to open up, and uh, here we are trying to make our way forward in, in the world. It could be really easy to just go enjoy our summer and jump into September because it kind of looks like a regular September in some ways and smells like a regular September in some ways. And I, I know there's still things kind of swirling around that aren't settled, but, but I, even beyond that, it's not really a regular September, is it? Something's different in here. I've been affected, you've been affected. Our community has been affected. Our town has been affected. A lot of assumptions, presuppositions have been made. Ooh. So what do we do with that? This isn't the place of harmony. We're not living in the place of hope. We're not living in the, are you depressed yet? Anyone, you came in to get a really encouraging word and, and you're just like, this is terrible. Why did I come here today? You came here today because this is what Psalm 120 is all about. Psalm 120 is about saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. How how this has affected me, how I participated in the chaos of these last 18 months. This isn't good for me. This isn't good for my family. This isn't good for my coworkers. This isn't good for my friends. This isn't good for our town. What do we do? How do we get direction to go somewhere new? Somewhere that's that's not in this place of, of disharmony. And Psalm 120 provides to us something I think is beautiful. It, it's really that Jesus gives us direction for this journey of where we're going. This, this new thing that Jesus has for us. Jesus gives us direction for a journey out of disharmony and into his harmony. And that's what I, I want to talk to you about today uh, for a little bit. Is just three ways that uh, uh, Psalm 120 reveals that we get direction for the journey. Three ways we get direction for the journey. So, number one, we get direction for the journey when we bring our trouble to Jesus. Now, here's my question. Where's Jesus in Psalm 120? It's not a trick question. Jesus isn't in Psalm 120. In fact, it was written like way before he, Jesus was even born, before he was even alive. So how, how do we take this? This, this is like, put your, put your Bible nerd hat on with me. I like to have you put your Bible nerd hat on for a minute. You got your Bible nerd hats on? No one put their Bible nerd hats on. This is ridiculous. All right, what am I going to do with you guys? Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, here, here, here's what happens. When, when we read the, the Old Testament... There's, there's a couple things, is, is there is truth in there about who God is, and, and, we, and we as uh, Christians now that are following Jesus, the, the fulfillment of the, the Old Testament, um, we might not see explicitly, oh, Jesus is right there in the text, but Jesus, as, as many writers in the New Testament say, is, is he is the new temple, He he is the the, uh, bringing together of heaven and earth, if we can use that language. So our journey, just like the ancient Israelites journeying to the temple, we can replace that in many ways for for Jesus and going towards him and his presence. And so right off the bat, we have verse 1. It says that I took my troubles to the Lord and he answered me. I took my troubles to the Lord and he answered me. We can't get any kind of direction we, we can't even begin to unpack that suitcase if, uh, to use that illustration i used earlier we can't get any kind of sense of where the happy place is that we want to head towards if we don't first take all of this trouble that we've experienced and that we're sensing in our lives and take it to jesus there's there's no other option for us what do these troubles refer to uh, th- this Hebrew word can translate into a couple of different ways. It's, it's a need. How many of you have needs? Real needs for you, for your family, for loved ones. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. How many of you have been in distress the last 18 months? This troubles refers to distress. How many of you, some of you mentioned it this morning, you felt anxiety. This word refers to Anxiety. How many of you felt any of that? The other one, this one's really interesting. It also refers to enmity. You know what enmity is? It's a sense of hostility. And it could be someone being hostile to you, but it could also be you being hostile towards someone else. So your trouble isn't just stuff happening to you. Trouble could be stuff you're part of the problem of. You could take that to Jesus. Lord, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm making a mess of this thing. That's just as valid as, Lord, I need this. Lord, I'm anxious about this. So we've got these troubles. Do, do you have need? Do you, do you have something in your life you can bring it to Jesus? Take your trouble to the Lord. Do you have distress? Is there something that has just been destroying you and messing up your day, and, and, and you can't focus on anything else? Bring it to Jesus. Do you have anxiety like we did this morning? We were talking about something that was making us worry, worrisome and, and full of anxiety. Bring it to Jesus. Just like we did this morning. Do you have hostility in your heart towards uh, people? Man, a polarizing election season, you can have hostility in your heart towards all sorts of people. Do you have that in your heart? Do you need to bring that to Jesus? What trouble do you need to bring to him? Jesus alone can save you from your trouble. My, My wife's a therapist. I believe in therapy. It's incredibly helpful. But therapy can't save you. Therapy can help you make sense of your life up to this point and help you make sense of all the different strands that have gotten tangled together, but it can't save you from your trouble. We're not sufficient in ourselves. No one has enough uh, self-will or self-determination to save themselves and get themselves out of trouble. We need someone to bring us out of trouble. So what's this mean? If you want to get answers from Jesus, your prayer life's going to have to go to a different level. How many of you are like, oh, man, I just love to pray. I find so much time in my day to pray. It's just super easy for me to just spend hours. I never get distracted by my phone or TV or my kids or YouTube or like, I know, that's right. I know. I'm at the same way. Listen, I've got a newborn. Finding time to pray is like, how, how do you even do this? And I get paid professionally. To like do this kind of thing, right? There's no such thing as a professional prayer. I'm just throwing that in as a caveat. You all have the same ability to pray that I do. But man, it's hard. But if we're going to bring our troubles, we have to, like, unlearn some behaviors. I I think it was really easy for many of us these last 18 months to become very, well, I'm just going to figure that out later. I'm going to push that off for later. I'm going to do that later. Kick that can down the road. It's just like so many events got canceled or delayed. We're like, I'm going to figure out these life circumstances later. And, and now now is later, guys. Now is later. And and. And I think many of us are going, oh, no, what do I do? I've got this stack of things that's piled up in my life. And I, I don't have my, my prayer muscles have just kind of atrophied. It was really easy to pray when I was together every Sunday with people or I was in a life group in person. But, like, man, I, I know people who, like, man, they hated doing life groups on Zoom. That was the worst thing ever, right? I can't pray. I can't connect with these people. And, and you just stop praying. And, and so it, there's these troubles building up in our lives, and it's almost like, like you're, you stop going to the gym, and you, you don't have that same muscle mass before to pray. Or, or maybe for you, you're like, I wasn't even praying before COVID. Like, what, what do I do? It's got to go to another level. What's that mean? It means that uh, often we, we need to position ourselves in a very humble way To say, huh, I don't have a solution. I don't know how to do this. you know one of the best things to do when you start praying is just to be honest? God, I actually don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know why I'm so angry. I don't know why I'm so scared. I don't know what this situation's about. I don't even know what my spouse is freaking out about over there. Help. This is why this is so important in in our direction towards God. One, One writer puts it this way. The movement to prayer was indeed the first movement of the pilgrimage. The first line of the Psalms of Ascent, first line of the journey is a move towards prayer, they're saying. They said the journey to Zion enacts in space the verbal move toward the Lord made in prayer. What does that mean? It means... If you want to take one step in the right direction on this journey towards living in harmony, living in a place of peace, living in a place of fulfillment, living in a place out of what we've experienced and into a new kind of hope, and and letting that be contagious for people around you, if you want to do that, the first step you have to take to know you're headed in the right direction is go, Jesus, help. And then just keep, help. That's why the Psalms of Ascent start with the most important part. And when you go to Disney, the first thing you do isn't get on the ride. The first thing you do is you go to the website and look up your tickets that you want to buy, right? And a lot of times we're like, God, I can't live in harmony. I don't don't know how to have peace with my neighbors. I've got so much hatred in my heart. I don't know what to do over here. And Jesus is saying, just take the step towards me. You gotta give up a lot of control to do that, I'll be honest, but just move towards him. The first step on our journey is always a step to: I took my troubles to the Lord, and he answered me. Just help. Prayer moves you towards the presence of. Of Jesus, and He's the source of the harmony that you're seeking, the hope that you're seeking, the the peace, the settledness that you're seeking, the, the relief from suffering that you're seeking. Just take that step. So we get direction when we bring our troubles to Jesus. Second, we get direction when we confess our participation in the troubles. This is where it gets real, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. So verses 2 to 4 in in the psalm we read, it it goes on. uh, Psalms are very poetical, right? So after verse 1 where he says, um, I took my troubles to the Lord, it it lets you inside a little bit on what the psalmist is praying. Rescue me, O God. I need help. And he lists off some things. And and specifically, he begins to talk about uh, lies and, and conflict and, and, and the kind of tumult that's going on around him like we've been talking about. And then, he con- and then he concludes this part of the psalm in verse 5 saying, How I suffer in far off Meshach. It pains me to live in distant Kedar. So these are real place names. Uh, in, in the uh, Old Testament world, in the ancient world. And, and the psalmist uses these names to convey a sense of how far they are from Jerusalem. These places were geographically really far to the north and really far to the south from Jerusalem. So it's a poetic way of saying, we are not in the happiest place on earth. We are very far from it. And, and not only that, but these places were also known for war and conflict and fighting and divisiveness. They, they were not places known for peace, so it was a double punch. Not only are we really far from the place of harmony, but we're in a place that's in a whole lot of trouble. When we're outside of God's presence, this is a little bit of a subtle thing the psalm is saying, but when we are outside, living outside of God's presence, when we are not aimed and directed towards Jerusalem, so to speak, towards the presence of God, We suffer. We suffer. We, we might not think we suffer, we might, I have a pretty good life, but the reality is, is we are suffering Be, because we're, we're being worn down uh, by, by what is happening in the world around us. We're being, in a sense, kind of corrupted by, by the pain, by the cynicism, by the lying, by the violence, by the divisiveness that defines so much of our culture. We're not just suffering because we're in proximity to it, though. We're we're suffering because we're finding ourselves to be participants in all the violence and in all the suffering and in all the the disharmony. Are you with me? One writer says this, lying, uh, deceitful speech is often cited in the Psalms as a powerful weapon of social hostility. Lies subvert life, deceit undermines it, and the soul is left insecure and damaged. How many of you felt insecure and damaged in this last season? How many of you have been the victim of of words? Maybe it has nothing to do with the pandemic, maybe it's just a family member, maybe it's a spouse, and and you felt victim of, of words, lies. We often weaponize our words, don't we? They're so dangerous. This is why James says that the tongue is like a, a dangerous fire. The tongue's so dangerous. We weaponize our words. We say sticks and stones hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. But man, words hurt. Because words are, as, as that writer said, are, are undermining who we are as human beings so many times. We become very sharp and harsh in our language and we weaponize our words. So quick pause, do you weaponize your words? I love the, no, (laughs) no, it's the best sarcasm of the day so far. I'm fluent in sarcasm, guys, in case you were wondering. Um, So I I understood that perfectly, that translated very well. Yeah, do you weaponize your words with your friends, your coworkers, people here in church, your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the people we have a responsibility to as co-heirs with Christ and part of his family? Let me stretch it a little further and include this because it totally does include this. Do you weaponize your social media accounts? What are your comments like? Do you weaponize it online and take it offline with other friends? Do you weaponize your words against your spouse, your kids? Maybe maybe you don't weaponize it in front of them, you you save face, but behind their back, they get it hard. I think often in these last 18 months, our, our bodies have maybe been physically in the pews on a Sunday morning but our hearts have been in Meshach and Kedar. Our speech has been in Meshach and Kedar. Our, our thoughts have been thoughts of defensiveness and, and how to get one up on the other person and figuring out if I say this and then they say that, then I'll say this. Trying to prove our point. Man, I, I without getting on my soapbox too much here, no one's interested. There, also, let me say it this way, actually. This is probably more helpful No one's compelled uh, by a a version of Christianity that just shows that they have all the right answers. and can shoot down every theory you have. No No one's compelled by a Jesus follower who just says, well, let me explain to you how wrong you are. They might be wrong. They might be misguided, but there's nothing really compelling about that. And I think a lot of times with how crazy life has been and, and, how, and how there have been very real things that need to be addressed by the church in the last 18 months. But, but I think we've used that as an excuse to just weaponize our speech. I don't want us to be a church that weaponizes our speech. Are you with me? That's Pastor Andrew going, don't weaponize your speech. I'll friend all of you on Facebook and stalk you. So how are you participating? Maybe it's not speech. Maybe it's other ways. How are you participating in in the trouble that's going on around you? How are you participating in in the trouble in Meshach and Kedar? How how are you realizing, oh my goodness, I'm growing weary of all this conflict I'm getting caught up in. This is messing with my soul. It's not good for me. How have you been participating in that, and, and how has, has that trouble caused you to suffer? We can be honest here. One other thing, question I want you to answer with this, as we confess, if we're going to confess, God, here, here's my involvement. Jesus, here's my involvement. We, we also need to confess, this is super important, people forget this when we're confessing our sins or anything like that. This is really important. We need to confess the benefits that we've received from participating in that trouble. What do we mean by that? We don't do something because we we uh, don't like it. We don't do things because they they are obviously hurting us or causing us pain, right? It might actually be causing us suffering and pain, but we think we enjoy them. Are you with me on this? Does this make sense? Why do you why do you lie to your spouse? Okay, let me say this again. In theory, if you were to lie to your spouse, because I know none of you do, right? Uh, if you were to lie to your spouse, what would be the benefit of that? You can have an appearance of, there's no problem here. There's a benefit to it. So, we, so here's, here's why I say that. With any trouble we're participating in, in any sin, in any realm of our life, if we're going to confess it, we also have to confess the benefits that we've received from it. Because what we're doing when we confess uh, like this, when, when we're participating in trouble in this way, is we're saying, I need this more than I need the freedom that Jesus wants to give me. And it's an idol. Or, or I'm saying, I am going to be sufficient in myself, and I'm going to provide a way for me to look good or, or to feel good about myself. I, I'm going to, uh, you know, get really involved in, in trying to... Uh, stomp out everyone who doesn't believe what i believe right because my benefit is maybe i think god will approve of me then or maybe i think i'll have i'll have a sense of worth or maybe i think i have this personal mission to do this And, and whatever those benefits are when we come to the place of confession we need to make sure that we also go and here's why this was benefiting me and why i did it too Took you a little deep here this morning. A little deep, but we got one more. Are you ready for me? Are you ready? Three of you. That's awesome. We're in great shape. So we get direction when we bring our troubles to Jesus. We get direction when we uh, confess our participation in the trouble. And three, we get direction when we become discontent with living in trouble. This is really closely associated with with the the second one as well but verse six says this this is the the ultimate statement of the pilgrim let me tell you starting with prayer recognizing how this is messing me up and i'm suffering i'm not benefiting from this and now finally verse six i'm tired of living among people who hate peace are you tired of living among people who hate peace it's exhausting, isn't it? Are you weary from it? I'm tired. I'm tired. Tired of being a participant in that world. Now, I'm not saying we're never going to talk to these people again. you got to hear me. We're not physically uh, leaving our neighborhood or like I'm never going to talk to that person again. But but there is a, a something in our soul that we have positioned ourselves as living among peace. And now we're saying, I'm not going to live my life that way anymore. I'm I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. Something is going to uh, fundamentally change in the way I live my life. What I desire, the way I uh, act, what I'm seeking out. Something is fundamentally going to change from this moment on. Um, Psychologists uh, have this idea and concept related to this that they use. It's called the crystallization of discontent. Anyone familiar with that idea? The crystallization of discontent. And and basically, what it it means is, uh, and and therapists use this a lot as well, um, you... This is coming from like a secular perspective. It has nothing to do with with the Bible or Christianity or anything. Uh, But they basically say, you cannot change until you arrive at a moment where your discontent is so fully crystallized that you say enough is enough. Uh, One... uh, writer explains it this way, that a person may even reshuffle their core values and priorities in their life to justify improving things. We might put it this way, um, the risk of staying the same is now greater than the risk of changing. Or uh, in even more common speech, I hit rock bottom and something's got to give. And and this is the ultimate place that us, if we're going to journey into a new normal, if we're going to journey towards this place of harmony that Jesus wants to bring us as a church family, if we want to have something com- people who become dissatisfied and discontent with living in a place of disharmony. And and if you're not dissatisfied, if you haven't reached that place yet, then maybe your first prayer needs to be, I want to want this. I pray that prayer a lot. God, I want to want this. I'm not discontent with where I'm at. I'm still enjoying the benefits of this. But Lord, bring me to that place. And And it's that step one again. You're just positioning yourself, aiming yourself in the direction of Jesus. But for those of you who have been like having this nagging sense of weariness, tiredness, whatever it is, and you're, and you're nodding your head, you're going, okay, I, I think I, I'm seeing these patterns in my life. I've seen where my soul has gone this last 18 months. I, I, I need to hit the reset button. Here's my question for you. Have you reached your moment of discontent? Has it become crystallized? Are you tired of living among people who hate peace? including yourself. We can be the worst ones to live with, right? Are you tired of it? I'm going to invite Lindsay to come back up and we're going to go into worship in just a minute. But just as she, as she plays, I just want you to reflect for a moment on a, a couple of questions as we close. Does this feel a little heavy this morning? No, super light? Like, yeah, whatever, I think about this all the time fantastic this is this is this is challenging for me I I think I shared briefly at the beginning but but I had to deal with my own uh judgmental attitude if I walked in I'll be honest if I walked into a store and saw someone not following whatever the COVID protocols were at that time I'd get all judgy judgy in my heart I'm better than them look at them not not doing what they're supposed to someone could I had to deal with that that's sin guys sin just as much as anything else you, you might call sin I had to deal with that yeah I'm disappointed that they're doing something that, that we've been asked not to do but man the judgmentalism I had to deal with the, the offense that I allowed in my soul I was living among a people who did not want peace right it was like the end of the psalm I, I, I would say I'm for peace but they're for war But I think Jesus is inviting us, before we rush into September, to pause for these six weeks to ascend with Jesus, to to go into that place of his presence, into that place of his harmony, into that place of, of, of a new normal, something compelling, something compelling that I think West Milford longs to see and experience for themselves. So what is Jesus inviting you out of? What's the disharmony that you've been living with, that you've been satisfied with, that you've been enjoying and benefiting from? What's the disharmony that you need to step out of, confess today, recognize, I've I've been enjoying these benefits of this far too long. What's he inviting you out of? And what's Jesus inviting you into? Have to overcomplicate it. It could be really simple. Maybe you had a word or a phrase pop in your mind. Maybe there's a relationship that it's specifically tied to. What's he inviting you into? Maybe Maybe there's some apologies that need to happen. Maybe there's a taking responsibility for your actions or your words for the last several months. Maybe there's the potential for reconciliation reconciliation takes two. That's why I say potential. Maybe you can go to that person and and they're ready to reconcile with you. Maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Are you ready to do that? Maybe you need to forgive yourself. What's he inviting you into? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.